Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical, and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. Hey, real quick, before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you to check out my new book, Single on Purpose, part memoir from all my singlehood journeys, but also real life stories from clients. I think you will find it entertaining and also helpful, not just if you're single, but also if you're in a relationship, because this book is not an anti-relationship book. It's a pro-relationship with yourself. Connect to yourself first. Check out Single on Purpose. It is time to give singlehood a cape because it's been vilified for so long. She is a women's intimacy educator and certified coach. She helps women love their body, experience deep intimacy, and have great sex. Shame-free. She spent nearly 10 years working with survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault as a deputy district attorney attorney for Los Angeles County. Rena believes intimacy is an art and helps women create their masterpiece. Ooh, I like that. Rena, how are you? I'm well. How are you, John? I'm really well, and I'm super excited to talk to you about women's intimacy, um, which I, I mean, just uh, the education and creating a space for these conversations to happen alone, I think, is just so needed. Uh, but first, I want to know how you got your fire in your belly for this topic. Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> um, well, anyone who knows me well knows that there's nothing more in this world that I enjoy talking about than sex relationships and intimacy. Um, Mm. But clearly, you know, a lot of women like to talk about that with their friends, but translating that into, uh, into being an instructor and being a coach has been an interesting journey for me. Um, There's a need for it. And I'm shameless when it comes to my ability to talk about it. So it's just creating that space, right? Yeah. Um, and a long history that led me here. What um, do you think is the greatest problem? I know there's many, and of course it's complicated, there's layers, but what do you think is the greatest problem when it comes to women and, uh, and healthy intimacy, women and connection to, to their bodies and, and you know, a, a positive sexual experience, all of that? Sure. I mean, I, I see three main struggles with the women I work with. Um, one is trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's capital T trauma and there's lowercase t trauma. And um, when we say trauma and intimacy, a lot of people assume that we're talking about sexual assault or some sort of childhood abuse. But right. really, a, a lowercase t trauma can become a, a capital, case, capital case t trauma. Um, if we look at the narrative that has unfolded throughout our relationships, throughout our lives, and what we've been told about who we are sexually, um, and any shame around the cultural programming that we're getting can over time create this negative association when it comes to sex and intimacy. And it really, it boils outside of the bedroom into just our ability to be vulnerable with other people because Mm -hmm. our brains as trauma survivors are trying to protect us and they're telling us that situations are not safe. And so in order to break through that, we have to do some serious rewiring when it comes to our brain. And I like to call it brain hacking, but that's really what we're doing. Um, So trauma is a big one, Uh, cultural, religious messaging, um, 
many of us come from families of origin where talking about sex is taboo or a woman's relationship to her own sexuality um, is viewed as something that is non-existent, right? So, um, but also just, you may have grown up in a progressive environment, um, in a culturally, religiously free space in your family of origin, but Mm -hmm. just the messaging that we see around us that bombards us every day sends us signals about, um, you know, who's allowed to feel sexy, right? Who's allowed to enjoy sex. I mean, what about, what about, um, what about porn, especially today with the internet where it's everywhere and you know, you could, uh, you're, it's a, it's a, it's a button away. Yeah. And you know, porn is interesting and I think porn can be an incredibly valuable educational tool. Mm -hmm. I've seen that in my own work with women who don't have experience watching porn or haven't watched it in a really long time. And what I tell them is that things have changed. And while there's more porn available to us than there there ever has been, um, we do have access to a different kind of porn. Right, right. There's um, ethically produced. Yeah, and also a lot more um, not... uh, uh, like studio, studioized, if that makes sense. Exactly. Uh, exactly. For once we can actually, exactly, exactly. And you know, I, I think Emily Nagoski, I've heard her say this. I've heard several other sex researchers use this example of, um, if you're watching porn to learn how to have sex, it's the equivalent of watching NASCAR to learn how to drive. Right. So if you're looking to learn how to have sex, porn is not the best place to go. However, if you're looking to see people of all shapes and sizes um, having sex and enjoying pleasure, there's so much available out there now to show people that sexy comes in all shapes and sizes. I mean, you could so, also, um, can't you also use porn as a tool, as a, a vehicle? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think I have incorporated porn viewing into most of my private work that I've done with clients, not something we do together, but something that they do on their own. And it is an incredibly valuable tool if used correctly, like most things, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, very, very valuable. However, back to your original question, which was what does porn do as far as how, how we have our relationship to our own bodies? Um, Porn can do a lot of damage to women who believe that they don't look the same, for Mm -hmm. example, in their genitals because their genitals don't look like what's featured in porn. So there's a lot of misinformation out there. And part of what I do is try to dispel some of that and show the statistics of why the bodies you see in most mainstream porn do not look like the average female body yeah i mean also for for men i know um the way that porn has affected me especially growing up and and being exposed to it really early uh realizing that i did have a you know a baby arm in between my legs you know (laughs) i I felt less than because i thought these guys were the norm um and they weren't and they're not you know and so um for men too i think um having body issues or, you know, feeling that you're inadequate because of comparing yourself to, to porn stars. And and that's such an interesting thing that you bring up because I actually say this to women quite often where, you know, we, not to say that you should run out and get plastic surgery, but if it came down to it and there was something about your body that you just wanted to change, 
pretty much any part of a woman's body you can change. Yeah. And with men, on the other hand, that is the one thing that is constantly being thrown around. There's derogatory terms made about penis size, which I don't think are funny. And this, this idea that we're perpetuating that sexy men have big penises and women want big penises mm -hmm. does a I mean, does a real, real nice job of dismantling um, the male ego and making you feel like less than. So I appreciate that perspective too. And I think it's, it's really valid and it's something that is unique to the male perspective. You know, if there was, and maybe there will be, because, um, let me there's just so much happening now today, as far as like, um, you know, trans transforming bodies and all that, uh, getting, you know, anything, um, enhanced or not. Um, if there was something that was equivalent to, um, say, like you know, a women's implants with men, and it was safe and it was very common, because of the locker room, do you know how many men would go way too uh, big, and it would actually backfire? <laughs> yeah, know? no, and it would. I mean, not not all women want a no. an above average penis. It, I mean, there's a, it comes with its own set of problems. Yeah. So yes, I think you're right. I think it would backfire. It would be, um, it it would separate us more, <laughs> Mars and Venus. It would, it would, uh, it, it would, it would make the intimacy more complicated and more about uh, ego and scoreboard uh, than intimacy. Absolutely, and I've actually known a few women who had to end relationships, you know, newer relationships due to sexual incompatibility because mm -hmm. of size issues. Size meaning that the the man's penis was just too large and that they had a fundamental sexual incompatibility. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, you know, but we have to work with the bodies we're given. And yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, I don't have that problem. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you said, <laughs> you said three, one was uh, trauma and uh, uh -huh. uh, lowercase as, as well as upper. And then, uh, culture, and that's what we're talking about now: society, porn, advertising, all of that stuff. Right? Uh, what would what was number three? Number three is really just our relationship to our own body, mm. and I think that that trauma and our cultural, religious, and social upbringing can also play into that. But um, some women just don't know how to be at home in their body and mm -hmm. to disconnect from all the chatter in our minds um, when it comes to sex and intimacy. And yeah. so it's really, you know, this, this, this disconnect that we have between our hearts and our minds. Yeah. I mean, I uh, worked with uh, eating disorder patients and um it's i mean especially in los angeles it was just a there there's women in disconnection with their bodies is very common if not almost the norm here in la i think yeah i'm i'm born and raised in la and you know i live here too and um it's it's this curious thing because i feel almost like a lot of the women i know who are from here don't augment as much as the women who are transplants. And I don't yeah. know if that's a bias on my part or if that's something you've seen too, because I know you're also uh, a native Angelino, but 
I think it's because uh, everyone, or not everyone, but um, many people come here for the entertainment business, and so it's usually the prom queens and the 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 women that are very attractive in their hometown. They come to L.A. and then uh, they realize that L.A. is very different than their hometown, and a lot of people are attractive here, and it's easy to then feel less than or feel like you're not attractive um, because you're used to being the you know the hottest girl in the room. And then now when you come to LA, you're not. And so there's going to be this pressure of, um, you know, uh, being perfect or being more attractive. And I think that's when things like eating disorders can, can definitely kick in. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the age of the women you were working with, John? Uh, early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I work with women of all different backgrounds and ages and um, you clients in their fifties who are finally now coming to the point of saying enough is enough. Yeah. And and we're also only talking about one part. uh, 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 And you, and what we're talking about is is probably more of a surface part of eating disorders. I think, Um, you know, why they form, it's a lot more complicated than just, um, you know, you feeling unattractive or comparing your body to other other people's bodies. I think there's also things like control and ways of coping and, you know, so it's people's uh, history, uh, things that have happened, all, so many things, you know. Yeah, because it's the one thing you can control, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, someone listening to this, they are uh, nodding, they're understanding, they can relate, and they want to start connecting to their bodies uh, or their body. What do you recommend? Mm-hmm. What's the beginning? What do you think is the be- like the first domino with this? Oh gosh. I mean, there's so many layers to it. If you're at home and, and you're working on your own, I think an easy first way to go about doing this is to take off all your clothes and look in the mirror. Mm. And for once, instead of looking at all the things that are wrong, start looking for the things that you like and just make a note once a day of something that you see that you like and um, keep doing that. Because as you know, I, I mean, I don't need to tell you that the way that we enact change is is to, is to one baby step at a time, right? Yeah. And And really rewiring that messaging. So that's one simple way to get the ball rolling. Um, another is when you find yourself engaging in that negative self-talk about your body. Um, I'm too fat. I need to lose weight. Um, my boobs are saggy. My hair is too gray. I look old. Just imagine that this was your compassionate anchor who um, was saying this to you. And when I say compassionate anchor, I use my nieces. So mm-hmm. anything that I wouldn't say to my nieces, I will not say to myself. And if I catch myself doing it, I imagine that I'm the little version of me saying, you know, auntie, I, I think I look fat and I talk to myself the way that I would talk to my niece. And that's, um, those are probably the two easiest hacks that people can start doing at home. But the biggest one is, you know, (laughs) change the remote. Like Mm. we have, our phones are now the remote to the world and we can control the content that comes in. so surround yourself with body and sex positive content, um, whether that's for the Instagram accounts that you follow. Um, there are several relating to body positivity, to the podcasts you listen to, to the shows that you watch, to the kind of porn you consume. If you're 
looking for porn that is um, either more amateur, which I think is a misnomer because that implies that porn actors don't know how to have sex, but that's a different topic. But if you look for um, for homemade porn, you will see normal people. And so just using that remote responsibly and changing the dial so that the messaging coming in is the kind of messaging that's going to reinforce these patterns of body positivity and love that you're trying to reach. Yeah. And as a relationship guy, I also want to say uh, the importance of your partner. You know, if you have a partner who is um, analyzing you and criticizing you and, you know, judging you, um, or if the love is con conditional, depending on what you physically look like, that's, it's going to be very hard to, to change the remote or change oh, the channel. Absolutely. I, I've been there. Absolutely. And it took me years to undo some of that damage that was done to me through the messaging of the person who was supposed to love me the most. So. Yeah. And, and I admit I've been, um, I've been, I've been that guy, you know, um, subtly, but still I've been that guy putting pressure on, um, uh, girlfriends to work out or to, you know, move or to, to, to look a certain way. Um, and I think a lot of that, and I, I want to take ownership of that, but I also think a lot of that has to do with me being programmed and wired to think this is what, um, beauty looks like, or, or this is, uh, and on a deeper level, it probably had to do with me feeling inadequate myself. And so, um, you know, if the person I am with is, uh, is attractive, then it makes me uh, worth more or more attractive. Yeah. But let me ask you another question, John, because I know that one of your values um, and something you work hard for is, is fitness. And, you know, you, you work out a lot. You're very committed. It forms a cornerstone of the books you've written and is part of it also, I'm, I'm just trying to give you some grace here. Like is part of it also that you want somebody who prioritizes fitness because it's a priority in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the other part of this is if they don't take care of themselves, uh, the, that turns me off. Got it. So it's not just the aesthetics. Uh, I mean, you know, someone can be, uh, and, and there's no such thing as perfect, but someone could be commercially, um, have a perfect, you know, commercially uh, a perfect quote unquote body. But if they never work out and they were just blessed with genetics, I would, that, that would still, I, I still would think that that wasn't healthy. If that makes All right. Sense. So once we peel back the layers a bit, this isn't actually, you're not that bad of a guy, John. You're like, no, but I, I do have parts of me that are, of course, you know, superficial and that I, I mean, hopefully a lot less now, but in my, you know, 20s and um, been in relationships where uh, looking back, you know, I was um, putting pressure on someone to look a certain way, I guess you would say. So whatever yeah. that, you know. Well, your priorities have have shifted and. Yeah. That's great. Growth for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you were saying that, uh, um, that exercise of standing in front of the mirror, um, starting there naked, it, it, it almost made me feel weird and insecure because, um, because I do work out a lot and a lot of my friends are, are very into fitness. You know, they all have abs and they're all like ripped. Um, and I'm definitely not. Uh, and so, that made me, I was doing the exercise in my head and I was like, oh, I, I don't want to, 
I got really insecure and I didn't want to look at myself. And, and I, I was in my mind, you know, circling fat and, and parts of my body that I didn't like, which, and, and I realized, wow, that, that's actually really hard to do. It is hard to do. And, you know, it's the things that cause us discomfort or, you know, those are the things we should lean into because what's uncomfortable for us now um, then becomes comfortable. Like getting behind the wheel of a car when you're first learning how to drive, you're freaking out, you're looking everywhere. And now you could probably drive half asleep. Not that I recommend it, but anything is uncomfortable at first because it's new and we don't understand it. But the more you do it, the more it just becomes normal. And so that's why I encourage doing this not as a one-time thing, but as the practice, you know, do it for a week and you don't have to write down a hundred things that you see that you like, but once a day, take note of one thing that you see that you like and make that a practice. And over time, you won't have to sit in the mirror and actually commit to doing it. It'll just be integrated into who you are. Mm. What is your definition of intimacy today? Oh, Lord. I should have a good one, right? (laughs) Well, well, actually, let me ask you this. Um, What was your definition of intimacy? And and how is it different today? Oh, Lord. It depends on at what point in my life you would have asked me. 20s, like, you know, 20. I mean, high school doesn't really count. I, I, I think 20s. 20s. I mean. And then, you know, 30s, we kind of turn the corner. Right. I think for me, because I'd had good sex, right? Like we've all had those wild mm-hmm. nights of good sex, but the idea of having good sex with somebody who knows me, who knows what I look like without makeup on, mm-hmm. who I don't have to wear a mask in front of, who I can really allow myself to be naked and vulnerable with, allowing somebody to see me. And then also be able to have great sex with them. That is what intimacy is. Mm. And so what is great sex to you? Is that um, more of a physical thing or is it more of a connection, spiritual thing? What, what is great? I mean, I guess it, it, it depends, right? But what, what, yeah. what is it to you? Oh, you know, sex to me, it, it it's different every time. I mean, I have a partner, but it's it, it serves a different function. Sometimes... It's a way for us to connect on a soul level. Sometimes it's a way for us to play. Yeah. Um, or, or explore or, or even like a, a quickie is okay. <laughs> it right? is okay. It yeah. is okay. Um, and yeah, and I won't, you know, embarrass him too much, I hope. But um, <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. Um, but no, we have a wonderful um, life and I would not have been able to even imagine the relationship that we have had I not spent the time doing the work. And that took me a lot of time and a lot of unlearning. And part of what brings me to where I am today wanting to help women is that I don't believe it should take years to do that. Yeah. So many of us, so many people are in the same boat and they tell me, I can't get out of my head during sex. I don't know how to be emotionally vulnerable with somebody who I'm having great sex with. And so there's this inherent um, resistance there. And it takes time to push through it. It's not a switch, um, but it can be done efficiently. 
and it doesn't have to take years. Yeah. Uh, it, it's all about uh, a new relationship with yourself, you know, and, and of course, that's not something that happens over the weekend. That That's a journey. And by the way, I was going to say, when I meant, when I said quickie, I didn't mean um, the, <laughs> uh, I didn't mean uh, uh, someone not lasting a long time. I, I meant like there's 20 minutes you know, oh yeah, the baby's down. Let's go do this real quick, kind of oh, thing. That, totally. That's okay you know too. Exactly what you mean. Right, right. Like, okay, uh, the casserole's in the oven. We got this right. much time. The the wall, of the kitchen's right there. Let's just go for it right now. Right, <laughs> but but going back to what you're what you're saying, um, yeah, I, I think uh, at the end of the day, this is all about your relationship with yourself. You know, yeah, and and understanding what I need in a given moment, what my partner needs in a given moment, and. Really, I think you said exploring, right? And mm-hmm. finding ways that you can explore together because it means you're on the same team. It becomes like a bonding exercise. It's wonderful. Yeah. Now, what about domestic violence? Um, you've worked with uh, uh, DV for, I think, over 10 years with survivors. What was that like? And, and uh, how did you fall into that? Well, so I joined the LA County DA's office when I was 25 years old, actually. Wow. Um, and I, that was my dream was to help survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence and really give a voice to our vulnerable populations, um, children and primarily women. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was doing that work has been very hard Yeah, because with the beautiful triumphs that you can see within the justice system. There are also some huge disappointments that you also that that you see as well. And sure, in order to be a good prosecutor and have the kind of trust necessary to work and stand by these vulnerable victims and survivors, um, you you get invested, and you know their story becomes part of the thing I am fighting for. Mm-hmm. So um, incredibly rewarding, but the highs are so high, and the lows though. Um, are really low because there's only so far I can take them before it's in the hands of 12 members of the community. Right. So, um, so yeah, but really I saw such resilience from those women and, and children and that experience um, has really shaped who I am in terms of how I work with people now. in the intimacy capacity, because I, I, whenever I would have to interview a victim, you know, especially with children, I would say, I know this is something that you don't want to talk about, but don't worry. You're not telling me anything I haven't heard before. Yeah. I can't think of anything greater. I can't think of a, 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 a bigger crowbar to intimacy than domestic violence or any kind of abuse, emotional or physical. Absolutely. I mean, that creates a capital T trauma response in the brain. Well, how can you be intimate with, with someone who is abusing you? You know, I mean, you could, you could fake it. You could pretend like that it's intimate um, or um, give them what you think they want. But as far as for you and your connection to self, I don't know if that's possible. No. And we do form trauma bonds, which is not, um, you know, there, there are other instructors within the lab who really focus on that a bit more, but there is a, a whole psychology behind the cycle of abuse and um, which is out there. And yeah, I, I could spend an hour talking about that, but 
um, really it's, it's this insidious cycle that happens over time. Again, like a switch, just like we're trying to build those new neural pathways to see our body in a positive light. Um, over time, somebody else, an abusive partner can chip away at that and lead us to believe that we are inherently unlovable and we will always be flawed. Yeah. That we should be lucky to have their love because no one else would love us. And, and, and I think what you're also talking about, um, what you said you could talk an hour about is uh, if you were raised in a chaotic environment, if all you know is, you know, um, people flipping tables or throwing chairs or, or chaos, um, the trauma bond that forms can feel like intimacy because that's all you know, right? And then, and then when that's not there, things feel flat and boring and you feel like, oh, I don't have any chemistry with this person. There's no intimacy here, but it's just that it's healthy and it's brand new, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yes. And people get a bit scared of that. And sometimes, you know, it's a fine line, right? Because on the one hand, you don't want to force an attraction that isn't there because then right. you'll be one, five, 10 years down the road saying, I never should have married this person. There was never a spark. But on the other, you have to question, like, why do I find this boring? Is it boring or is it just new? Yeah. Right. That's a really good question. Is it boring or is it new? And I think that if it is, in fact, because it's new, now we have the opportunity for new experiences, uh, which then can be uh, what you're talking about, you know, a new conditioning, new rewiring yourself. Absolutely. I think um, so many people, and I know, especially because uh, I worked in nonprofit for a long time, worked with teens, realized we lived in a, a, a fatherless nation, um, worked in the trenches, kind of like you. Uh, and there was there was DV, there was uh, a lot of abuse. Um, I forget what the statistics were, but um, I think it's three in five women are sexually abused growing up or something. Yeah. It's, it's really high. Um, and so I noticed the ripple of that and their definition of intimacy uh, usually is – it's like one extreme or the other. It's usually very um, – uh, promiscuous uh, and, and and being intimate uh, to get love or something in exchange, and so it's a it's it's kind of a depowering intimacy, uh, or the other way where um, they just don't participate in intimacy because it could you know lead lead to trauma and danger and all of that, um, and it was so sad watching these uh, teenagers kind of in that space, and I'm thinking oh you know by the time they're they're 20 it's like what you know, wh wh where, where are they going to learn how to do all of this that we're talking about, give themselves new experiences, you know, redefine, connect to themselves, love themselves, all of that. It just seemed like such a mountain for them to climb because of their positioning and upbringing. Absolutely. And, you know, it, <laughs> sorry to be a downer, but even if you haven't suffered abuse, mm -hmm. there's no one teaching us how to do this stuff. Right. And, and adding that layer is just an extra hurdle, but really, you know, Esther Perel, she says, uh, great lovers are made. They're not born. Um, no one teaches us how to be intimate and the sex education we get in this country is laughable, but really it's, it's just coming from a clinical perspective. No one actually teaches us what we're supposed to do. No one teaches us what the keys are for a long lasting, passionate erotic and loving relationship and yeah. 
So we're left wondering like, what's wrong with me? And really there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend? And I know you probably have many, but I want to leave with three tips, um, three suggestions, three ideas for, for people to improve their intimacy. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the one thing that comes to my mind is communication. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I, I want to make this accessible to people who are partnered and, and unpartnered too, but, um, I think getting curious about yourself, um, (laughs) I have all of my clients take, um, the BDSM kink quiz that's available online, even people who have Mm. never thought of themselves in that way, because, um, just like our sexual fantasies provide a sexual language for an emotional need are how we rank on these porn scales. It's like reading these tea leaves and you're like, Oh, dominant. Oh, submissive. I wonder what that means. Mm -hmm. And it really, um, it invites some exploration and it, and it looks at you with curiosity. So go online and take some things and learn a few things about yourself that you never knew. Uh, another way to do that would be spend some time on Pornhub or your porn website of choice and watch a few things that you never would have watched. If you are a heterosexual woman, watch some gay male porn, um, watch porn of different, um, backgrounds, different sizes, different body shapes, just expand your mind a little bit and get curious. Um, because if you won't know what you crave until you've tried a few different things and you've been exposed to different things. Mm. So that's, that's one way. Um, I listen to the Savage Love cast every week. And I would say as far as bang for your buck, um, <laughs> I, (laughs) Dan Savage changed my life and I I can't go a day without quoting him, but, um, it's a call-in show. And so you literally hear from people all over the world who are battling and grappling with different intimate relationship or sexual issues. And, Mm -hmm. and it's so eye-opening. Um, so that would be the way to just expose yourself to different stories and challenge yourself and the frames that you grew up with. and what's another tip? You know, have fun. Yeah. Like <laughs> I I ran a couple of workshops recently called Make Sex Fun Again. Like give yourself permission to see sex as fun and to see it as play. And I, I think you talk about this a lot, John, that that as adults, we've forgotten what used to make us feel alive when we were younger. And we've right. forgotten how to dream, how to imagine and see this as a form of play. So I think those would be my suggestions. I love it. Um, and what great reminders. And, and I think uh, it's something that we can put on our checklist and then we quickly forget or, or we never get to them. So um, make sure that this is important to you, you know, uh, because if you don't do anything, then nothing's going to change. So uh, I think intimacy is one of those areas of your life where people neglect. They don't really, they feel like it just comes naturally, right? And so um, we work, you know, so hard on our careers and all these things. But when it comes to things in the bedroom, we, we we don't put much effort. We just do what we feel. We just kind of, you know, default to things. And, and that keeps us in the, the same patterns, you know, same positions, same experiences, and and nothing really changes. 
Absolutely. And, you know, we go on autopilot because we assume that that a spark and a decent amount of love is going to be enough to sustain a relationship. Um, But really, it's like, think of it like cleaning your house, like cleaning a room in your house, cleaning your fridge. Let's say your fridge, like your fridge is going to get dirty over time unless you go in and give it a deep scrub every once in a while. It's not a self-cleaning fridge. Mm. Your sex life is not self-lubricating. You have to keep adding lubrication, uh, you know, literally and metaphorically into your sex life. And one way to do that is to flirt, have fun, get some card games where you guys can ask each other sexual questions that you might be too reserved or feel awkward about asking. Um, Get curious. Yeah, I love that because I was going to say, uh, focus on everything out of the bedroom, outside the bedroom, you know, um, focus on things like flirting, uh, sexting, connecting to uh, your partner or partners or whatever relationship that you're in. Um, because right when you wake up, I feel like that's that's where it starts. It doesn't have to be the actual time that you guys are naked, you know. Um, so flirting, um the, the way that you guys talk to each other, intimacy via uh, any way that you want throughout the day, I think uh, ripple all of that ripples contributes into the bedroom. Absolutely. And, you know, the pandemic has obviously presented its own challenges with many couples working and <laughs> under the same roof with one another. And so what you can do, though, is you can create this artificial distance between you. Um, mm-hmm. Text messaging is a great way to do that. Um, set up a designated email account that is just for you guys to talk about intimate things Mm, rather than, Hey, here's the grocery list for this week. So you're devoting this channel and you're carving out this space to create this artificial, um, sense of a chase between you. So that's, that's one tip. And, you know, even non-pandemic texting each other, flirty things, sending a flirty email, change the script, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, Rena, thank you so much for doing this work. Thank you for teaching in the lab. Um, I think uh, this is so important. And I think uh, people are really thirsty for this now. I think more now than ever before, you know, because I think uh, they realize, oh, this is important. This is conversation I should be having. And this is going to change my life. Yes, and I'm happy for it. And thank you for having me in the lab. It's the highlight of my week. Mm. Where can we find you? Besides the um, lab. Yes, so you can find me. I have a website. It's renamartine.com, R-E-N-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-E.com. And actually for anyone um, who's listening to the podcast, I, I am offering a 15-minute intimacy breakthrough session if you would like to book one of those and that's going to be at calendly.com forward slash Rena Martine forward slash angry. And, um, you can schedule on there. You can also find me on Instagram. My handle is Rena X Martine. So R E N A X M A R T I N E. Also a journey coaching graduate. No. I am a journey coaching graduate. Yes. (laughs) You just can't get rid of me, John. (laughs) I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you and uh, be well. Thank you, John. Mm -hmm. Listen, if you are great at helping other people and you have a passion for that and you want to find personal freedom and level up the skills you already have, 
it's time to become a life coach. Journey coaching. When I became a coach, there was nothing like this out there. And so I developed this coaching training program alongside Noel Cordo, Journey Coaching. That's J-R-N-I. And it is amazing. It's 100% live. It's everything that I wish I had when I was starting out. Meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, lifetime support and business development, ICF certified. Just go to theangrytherapist.com, my website, and click on Become a Coach and explore the Journey Coaching Intensive. See you in class.